0: Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. I am Sia Najad at Sia Najad, taking over again for Frank Stample. And today, my guest is none other than Andrew Erickson from Fantasy Pros. Andrew,
1: how are you today? I am doing excellent. We are the NFL draft is in the rear view mind, rear view window, so we're good with that. I can't even get my words together because of how stressful the draft <laughs> was and trying to cover that thing. Not a lot of sleep, but we've recovered. I've had a weekend to recover, and you know the draft grades have been finalized, so I'm feeling good. Uh, I feel like I'm starting to, starting to finally shift into like a long season, long analysis mode with fantasy football, starting to do some of my rankings, kind of trying to figure out, okay, I had these guys ranked like this during the, the spring. Do I still feel that way as we head into the summer months? Now it's going to be all about OTAs. You know, what about these rookies, the rookie hype machine? Oh man, I'm excited. So I'm doing great.
0: And for the listeners, I I can promise you at the end of this conversation with Andrew, we are going to talk about some of the rookies who may have a high impact in the DFS space. In other words, early in the season, maybe we can get a handle on some of the guys who will be having an impact early. But we'll touch on that towards the end of the show. Um, Andrew, where can people find you? I know it's at Andrew Erickson underscore on Twitter. Where else can they find you and your content? Yeah.
1: So, yeah, at Andrew Erickson underscore on Twitter. I'm also at Andrew Erickson underscore on TikTok, where I'm trying to carve out a nice niche in this this TikTok universe. I mean, the cool kids, all, you know, the high school kids I, you know, see occasionally, <laughs> they always tell me how cool TikTok is. They're like, Andrew or Mr. Erickson, you need to get on TikTok. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. And I think... I mean, I've had one, I think I'm coming up on the one year anniversary, I think, because I remember my first video ever made was on Najee Harris, and I made Mm. a video about how he was going to overcome the offensive line woes of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And what do you know, 380 touches later, Najee Harris was able to do it. So again, (laughs) volume is king in fantasy football, and the TikTokers know that. Yeah. Mr.
0: Erickson, indeed. It's a young man's game. That's for sure. So you mentioned you covered the draft and I know you covered that extensively. I actually listened to some of your um, your podcast show on the draft recap, which I thought was really good. And uh, apparently you have some things to say about the Patriots draft, but that is for another time. So you cover the draft. Uh, it, it, I, I think you do some dynasty stuff as well. And you do some redraft and DFS as well. It, it sounds to me like you're covering the entire football landscape for fantasy pros. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. You know, wearing a a ton of different hats for fantasy pros, basically whatever they need, I am there to, to provide for them. So rankings, dynasty, best ball, and, and doing more betting stuff. Like that's something that we're starting to see the fantasy, the fantasy industry and the betting industry kind of, kind of come to uh, they're meeting each other. You know, we're seeing the overlap between them. Things are starting to get more blended together, especially with some of these companies that are now offering these, you know, prop games where you're not necessarily betting an actual like player prop because you're parlaying it together with another one, making it a DFS game. But we all kind of know it's it is a player prop, which is obviously something that is super common in the betting circles. So that's something I've been have a lot how have been having a lot of fun with as well because you know where I currently live, I I can't legally gamble. So having some of these other DFS sites available to me instead does give me kind of a fun outlet so that I can kind of like get in in on some action that's not necessarily Oh, I got to build a DraftKings lab, I got to build a FanDuel lineup um, a little bit more than that. So that's been a lot of fun as well.
0: Yeah. And it, you remind me, you know, I, I'm an attorney. Uh, that's my background. And it's certainly blurred lines when it comes to the prop and betting and DFS space. But I mean, I'm here for it because it's giving us more options, Andrew. So I, I get that. But, you know, fantasy football today, DFS, is it's focused on NFL DFS. So I just wanted to get right into it with you, Andrew. When it comes to NFL DFS, do you have a process week to week that you go through? If so, just give me a general outline of what that is.
1: Yeah, I I think for me, I try to look at the player pool and like who I'm like targeting, you know, who am I thinking about playing this week? And, you know, what are the reasons why in terms of, okay, was it based on this injury that happened? I mean, that's like one of the biggest things throughout the week is just kind of keeping up with injuries. It's like, if this guy's out, can we have confidence in this player? So things like that, you know, going through and reviewing the players in terms of how they were used the previous week did we see a player's role increase or decrease um what happened when this guy got hurt so things like that are, are really what i look for again it's funny because it's like I, I probably don't look at any actual box score like it's probably the last thing i actually ever look at is actual the box score itself you know i'm, I'm looking for what is more predictive. And you know, if a guy scores three touchdowns in one game, it's, it's like, that's really not predictive unless he got like 20 targets. Like, it's so weird how we could just, you know, look the other way, or at least I do, you know, when a guy has a monster game from a scoring perspective, and then you just like, well, you only have like eight targets, so that's not going to be sustainable. So it's just like, mm-hmm. whatever, like well, I look the other way. So I think it's, it's, but it's cool that we've come this far that we know that we don't necessarily chase the points of the big game. We also know that we chase the opportunity, and then lead to the big game. You know, something that comes to mind is that I think it was one it was a couple of years ago where there was a Will Fuller was like super popular owned after coming off like a terrible game. Mm-hmm. But everybody knew that he was gonna just explode because he had all the opportunity, like targets were there, he was in the dome, he was mm-hmm. playing the Falcons. So it was, it was like all lined up for Will Fuller to score like sixty points, and he did but everybody else had him on their team. So it's like, oh, like I had this guy and then it didn't even really end up making a difference. So um, things like that are what I look forward to um, when I'm doing my process. So when it comes to actually
0: picking the contest, is it, are you more of a GPP player, tournaments or cash games?
1: So for me, I used to be strictly cash games. So that's what I used to play the most. And then I kind of shifted away from them and also kind of came in with the, the props. Like I started doing more, player props cuz I kind of view them in a similar light where you're you're kind of betting on this is going to happen this is the most likely scenario I'm not trying to turn a little bit of money into a lot of money I'm trying to make smart investments based on these player props so that's kind of what I started to shift towards I was getting tired of the you know the back and forth of cash you know struggling with oh man like who has a higher floor and it's like i just want to like i want to play to win and it was like with cash it was like i just felt like i was playing to not lose which i guess kind of is what you want to do like if you come in first place in a cash term you're kind of like bummed out <laughs> because you're like oh man like i should have mm-hmm. played this in a, a tournament it's like you mm-hmm. want to finish like right above the, the cutoff line and I I just wasn't, it wasn't as entertaining to me and the ROI on it wasn't as good as I was doing on player props. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to invest more time into the player props, more of my bankroll into that and focus on GPPs and and more specifically small field GPPs, because I felt that it aligned more with my goals that I wanted to do. Like I I really am not playing DFS to like win a million dollars. Like that's, that's not my goal. Mm -hmm. Um, I really want to play to sharpen my mind and obviously want to win some cash along the way, but I want to play against like other people that I I, I don't want necessarily to be beat by luck and just be like, oh, I didn't draft this guy. That's, you know, 2% rostered that i never even heard of because I'm playing in a tournament with 300,000 people. Um, I I feel like the strategic or the the strategy in a small field GPP, it it gets, you, you don't have to be super galaxy brained. You can mm-hmm. just pick not necessarily just like you just pick the right plays but you have to be strategic with which right plays you end up playing and i, I like the strategy more of the small field gppl and it also aligns more with my goals um you know i'm trying to win you know a couple thousand dollars you know on in a weekend that's really more what i'm aligned with it also works with my workload um, in terms of being a fantasy pros, like we do live streams before, you know, every Sunday. So the last thing I want to do is try to, you know, with 30 minutes left, have to change my, you know, mass multi-entry of 150 yeah. lineups. I, I just wouldn't be able to do it. So small field GPPs for me, things I could hand build. And that's kind of what I've been gravitating towards. Uh, and, I, and I've had the most success with that too. Like that's the other thing. It's like, I was looking at my ROI with large-field GPPs, and it just wasn't where I wanted it to be. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make the shift to small-field GPPs, and I found a lot more success that way. So that's kind of what I'm going to be going, at least into next year, playing a little bit more of.
0: So when you say small-field GPPs, for the casual listener that doesn't necessarily know how many entries are in that type of uh, tournament, What what I mean, just approximately, like, what are you looking at when you're talking small field? Like, because some people might think, well, that's a that's a that's a five man thing. Some people might think that's Mm -hmm. 200. Some people might think that's, you know, 3000.
1: Yeah. So for me, I I usually want to be under like a thousand somewhere in the hundreds range is is kind of what I look towards. And it can change. And and I don't remember if there's like a specific tournament. You know, I play most of my game DFS on DraftKings, but I can't remember if there's a specific tournament. But like things I've always noticed, I've just done better. In smaller slates, especially like playoff slates, uh, just like when the players matter more and you're less likely Mm -hmm. to be beaten by just random players because there's just less games going on. So like when the player pool gets a little bit smaller and even when the size of the field gets smaller, I feel like I'm less likely to get beat by luck and more likely to win because I am more skilled than my opponents. So that's the way I see it.
0: Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. I, I like the idea. So I, I kind of draw like a poker analogy there. When you can, you, you know, back in the internet poker days when you could play, you know, a, a nine-man table or a six-man table, like when you play six-man, you, you feel like the hand rages, like you, you can identify a little bit better and it's just it's just easier to overcome the randomness of maybe a couple extra players, you're know, like drawing to like a crazy card or something like that. I tend to have success in some of those niche tournaments or small field tournaments for example like the afternoon slate uh is that something that you you do as well or do you just generally play the main slate every weekend
1: it's it's weird you know i i used to when i first started playing dfs i I like only did like the early slate because i I don't even know why i just like that's like what i would i think i won you know really early on i was like oh i'm just gonna do early like this is this is my thing this is why i'm going to win but i think that i'm going to do more of that and really I've always just done main slate because I feel like the content I've always made has always been around, you know, the main slate. And and that's what everyone always talks about is always like the main slate, but you bring up a good point where you're like, I mean, yes, it's saturated to a point where obviously it's a great content producer, but at the end of the day, like we just want to win. So if it's like, Hey, I'm just better at, I don't have time to look at all these afternoon games. Like I, I don't want to invest the time into it, especially if they're all horrible games. Like, let me just play the early slate, get it out of the way. You know, I have stuff to do later on. And I think with like late swap too, you know, that way, if you know that you're going to be tied up, you're not going to be able to late swap. I think it's an advantageous mm. of you to actually just do play the early games or only play the afternoon games. So I would say late swap would probably be one reason why I like playing the main slate because people don't take advantage of it enough. And I do. Like i make sure that i'm like usually on it when you know i'm checking my teams right before the four o'clock game or 425 game start to like kick off i'm like all right where do i stand in this like do i need to just pivot do i need to go more contrarian can i can i swap to some chalk here so i again i like the strategy part of that that's like just the coolest thing about dfs it's just like the whole strategy which i think people get super hyped out about the players in a very player-centric analysis when you just play. I think the best DFS players in the world, honestly, are just better at the game itself mm-hmm. and not necessarily like, oh, they're a master of players. They're they, they so they can so easily project, you know, these types of players. I think projections, obviously knowing players is important, but I mean, if you were to tell me that you have the smartest football guy in the world versus the smartest, you know, player of DFS in the world, like I'm going to pick that guy. He could go, he could know nothing about football and only know about DFS. And I think that he would probably be more likely to win than someone that just knows everything about the football players. So it sounds
0: to me like you're saying the game theory is more important than the yeah. game in this case. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some of you. You, you touched on a few of the things that you, you don't you don't want to chase box scores. You'll leave that for everybody else. You want to chase opportunity. But when it comes to looking at your player pool at the beginning of the week and starting to narrow it down, are there certain things that you are always looking for from an opportunity standpoint? For example, like snap share, route share, red zone targets. Maybe it's the wide receiver DB matchup or the defensive line, offensive line. Are there certain things that stick out that, hey, this is a box I need to check. I need to look at this every week when I'm looking at my player pool.
1: I think for me... I I look at team stuff. So in terms of, you know, pace of play, like how, how fast is this team playing? You know, we're, we're trying to find those shootout games because this always happens where it's really one game that provides the, the winning lineup. And then you're just kind of like piecing together the rest of your roster. And it's, it sounds so counterintuitive that you would just invest so much into one game, but that's, you check out a lot of the winners and even winners I've had, it's, it's like usually one game that just absolutely went nuclear. And then everybody just like hits their 99th percentile outcome. And, and that's why they all are part of the the tournament winning, you know, stack, um, in that case. So looking at games where you could have the potential for shootouts. Um, I look at, I like to look at routes, run data, actually. Um, again, that's, that has to do with player snaps to an extent, but it is a little bit more, Predictive in terms of, you know, what do you get before a target? You have to run a route. And I think it's really important to look at, especially from a percentage standpoint, you know, routes run per drop back. Like that's something I wrote a lot about the last two years at PFF. You've been leveraging their routes run data. You know, how often is this player running a route per drop back? And I think it's really important because you get an idea of every time, you know, Matt Ryan drops back, you're seeing Kyle Pitts. Run a route on 90% of his dropbacks. And then you look at that compared to all the other tight ends, you're like, oh my God, like he's on the field so much more than every other tight end is. And it's not just raw snaps because it can get a little confusing because tight ends obviously are on the field when they're blocking. So kind of identifying the difference between those two because snap share can kind of be a little noisy sometimes. You're just looking at the raw number. It's like Mm -hmm. when it actually mattered. Like when they're thrown, because that's all we care about. It's like when they're throwing the ball, are you go on the field. Like we don't care if you're run blocking. Like that that, that doesn't help us whatsoever, right. <laughs> unless unless we get a new rule added into the game. So <laughs> I, I think that routes run per drop I guess, is something I usually look at a lot, um, and just looking at players in terms of you know I, I think you kind of hit on this. Like looking at high value opportunities. So looking at a player that saw a lot of deep targets, a uh, player that saw end zone targets. You know anywhere I can get closer, like even getting closer than just like red zone targets. I'll even look at red zone snaps. Okay. Like which running back was being used in the red zone. Okay. They didn't score, but especially parsing through some of these committees, you have to find a way to kind of figure out, okay, like this is the running back I want from this committee because they have the vice grip on the red zone usage and the pass game usage. It's like, that's what I care about. Not necessarily. Oh, okay. Like he had 20 carries. This guy had 15 carries like, the carries just doesn't move the needle for me. It's like who had the pass game usage, who had the red zone usage, that's what really matters. So those are things I really try to harbone on um during my pre pre-week analysis.
0: Let me ask you one other thing about some of the some of the tools and some of the things you you may look at. A lot of people talk about wide receiver, cornerback matchups, offensive line, defensive line matchups. And f- for that matter, you know, whether such and such team runs a cover two or a cover three or, or plays, a you know, more man than another defensive team. Are those things that are also sort of critical in your analysis week to week? Or does that end up
1: being more noise than anything else? I think it's a little bit more noise um, because you become it's almost like a paralysis by analysis. Like you're getting so much information about why you should start the like look see i can i can make an argument and spin it any way i want to make you want to like buy x player like Mm -hmm. there are ways to do it and then there's vice versa like there are ways i can make it to fade a player so for me it's kind of like if i need to like go digging to like find a reason to like play this player it's like Okay, it shouldn't be that hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't be super obvious, like super under, you know, trying to pull it under a rock. Like why this player is a good play. Now, obviously, there are sometimes players that fly under the radar that become low roster ship that are good players, and and those are the ones that you want to point out. But for the most part, I mean, ownership projections are are pretty good, and you- it's like those are the top plays for a reason, and mm-hmm. it's really not sneaking up on anyone. And by the time the week comes again, people go on shows and talk about players. You know, the ownership projections are pretty spot on in terms of like, these are the best players I actually always recommend to people when they have start sit questions. I'm always like, honestly, look at ownership projections. <laughs> like, <laughs> like those can actually kind of be helpful, even from a season long perspective, because they're telling you like the vast majority of people believe in this player this week. Now, again, it's a little bit, you have to factor in price. Obviously we're talking about like a start sit or something like that, but you know, you can usually identify when players are, just good plays and why they're just good plays because they're cheap um so you can obviously tell like from the salary discrepancy but um yeah I, I think that you know wide receiver cornerback tends to be a little bit noisy and overrated because it just i would say matchups in general are are, are somewhat noisy and overrated because we think that we know what a defense is going to do when offense dictates defense like that's right. something that i think is so important and that's what i've you know it's crazy to me but like if you were like, okay, Andrew, you can either have a player's usage last six weeks, or I can give you the defensive matchup that they're playing this week. And I would take the offensive player's six weeks game log and what they've been doing over the offense or the defense they're playing. Because we 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 run it so many times where it's like oh Jonathan Taylor he's the best running back oh but now he's playing the box. oh no what do we do oh what do you know <laughs> Jonathan Taylor had a great game because he's the best <laughs> running back in the NFL like and and so much of the and, and the thing is too is like some for some reason we don't always you know understand this but defensive numbers are are just products of the offenses that they've played so the defensive every time we're looking at a defensive stat it's all based on who they've played so something I always kind of draw a parallel to is entering this season, we talked about the football team, you know, Washington I was like, Oh, like, this is like a stout defense. And that was not the case at all. Like they were horrible on defense. And when you look back at their schedule and when they were, you know, touted as a great defense, cause they played a bunch of bad offenses. Mm-hmm. So like, that's something that I always try to like, take a step back. It's like, you know, what is this really a defense that I really need to be afraid of? Like who have they played? It's like, they haven't played anyone good. So yeah, they may be the number one ranked defense against running backs, but they haven't played running back like X. So things like yeah. that. Now I think that you can be smart and actually look at a team and and be like, no, like this defense actually is for real. I think that they can actually kind of slow down this player, but for the most part, I'm really looking at the offensive player first and letting defense. Cause, it, cause I think de- cause defense moves ownership a lot. Um, Like, who are you playing this week? Like, Jonathan Mm -hmm. Taylor, I think it was, again, it was that week that he had a monster game and he was playing Tampa Bay and just, like, no one wanted to play him.
0: Well, it was, I think the game you're thinking of is when he was playing the Bills. And at that point, the Bills had only played, like, you know, (laughs) the Jets and the Dolphins twice and and a couple other just really bad teams. And then 185 yards and five (laughs) touchdowns later, Jonathan Taylor is killing it for everybody who decided to play him. And, And I remember specifically, granted, I didn't have as much, uh, of a share of him as I wanted to, uh, ultimately, but I was having arguments with people that were like, Oh no, the bill's defense, their run defense is so good. And it's just, it's right in your face. You look at who they're playing and then look at Jonathan Taylor and you, you figure out who's going to bend there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's why I, you know, I feel like when you usually, when you bet on the player, um, based on, their performance based on their usage more often than just relying on defensive matchups, because I think because that's like the easy and not say it's lazy, but that's like the easier analysis to do to be like, oh, well, this team is bad against running backs like, okay, like here, you just play the running back against them when you're not factoring in. Oh, well, you know, well, what's the running backs touch share? You know, how involved is he in the passing game? Does he have the red zone usage? You know, what's the deal? So that's something that I think that defensive matchups get overrated and wide receiver quarterback obviously kind of like falls into that category, because I mean, like they're like the amount of cornerbacks that like actually shadow, you know, wide receivers is is so small. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's good to like look at when a cornerbacks like really bad and you want to target someone that he's playing a horrible cornerback. But Most of the time it's like when teams have horrible cornerbacks, they're just bad anyway. So like you could get the same kind of data being like, well, the Falcons, I hate to bring them up again, but like they're horrible against wide receivers no matter what. And what they do is they just keep AJ Terrell on one side. So he doesn't follow anyone. So they, you just move your best receiver to the other side of the field, then he just destroys the second corner, and then it doesn't really even matter. So I, I would say that defensive matches are probably a little bit overrated and something that, not that I don't listen to it, because it's important. Because if I know that everyone is on this player because they're playing a, you know, quote-unquote bad defense, then that's something that I try to leverage um, when I'm playing in, in small field GPPs.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up leverage, because I, I think... People don't really know, in general, they don't really know how to deal with leverage and high ownership in terms of, hey, do I play this player? Do I just change? Do I play him? Do I pick up this chalk and, and just build my roster a little differently in spite of the fact that I've got a couple of chalky players? Do I fade that guy altogether and all the chalky guys and just you know, maybe focus on a different game? How do you handle the, the chalk conversation?
1: Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. You know how like we, it looks like such an obvious play and then it's not an obvious play because it is an obvious play. It's, it's <laughs> so fascinating the, the game theory behind it and something that I try to do when talking about ownership in terms of, you know, how often you should roster a player. I always try to think in terms of, okay, so You know what's the likelihood that this player actually like fails like uh, thinking about it from a range of outcomes perspective now we can talk about you know this guy's the lock of lock of locks and we we all know that that doesn't exist like the players it's football a lot of stuff can happen a lot of weird things can happen and more often than not you usually want to try to leverage the ownership in terms and so the way i think about it is when i think it was so aaron jones was out this past year and aj dylan was really really popular of course, you know, he's coming off a decent game, you know, as the, as the bell cow, I think they were playing the Vikings. So it was, it was mm-hmm. a good matchup. So everyone was playing AJ Dillon and the sharp play, and this should be kind of how you should always kind of view it is the sharp play was playing the Packers passing attack. And it's like, no, like I'm not going to play AJ Dillon. I'm going to play Aaron Rodgers, and I'm going to play Devontae Adams. I'm going to play Marquez Valdez Scantling. And you are getting leverage because you're not only fading AJ Dillon. But you're taking advantage of aj dylan not firing so it's all encompassing like you need to know who the chalky players are and then you need to kind of go into and address and based on the, the roster that you're building um now i think that makes sense from like a tournament perspective like literally you can make tournament lineups just based on okay who are the chalkiest running backs okay you play their passing games because more often than not like that that's a scenario that could happen like aaron Rodgers, and it's not even say aj Dillon could have a Horrible game. You could rush for hundred yards, but let's just say, you know, Aaron Rodgers throws the touchdowns and AJ Dillon doesn't get the touchdowns. Okay. Like touchdowns tend to be fluky from week to week anyway. So it's not crazy to think that Rodgers would have a good game, but you're going to get Rodgers at, you know, sub 5% ownership. You no know, Marquez Valde scaling. Nobody plays him. Oh, well, he's good for a blow up week. And in the week you play him when it matters the most is when AJ Dillon is getting all the steam because people are paranoid about playing too many players from one offense. So those are things that I start to think about. And you know, don't always like playing guys because they're low rostered. Um, You wanna play, there are plenty of players that you can play that are good, that are still low rostered, just because you can't play everyone necessarily. I think the misconception is people play really bad players because they're low rostered. And you really wanna find the happy medium between a player that you actually like that people just aren't playing for what reason sometimes it's just because there are more obvious plays or defensive matchups that people like a little bit better but you're seeing a guy that saw a lot of opportunity last week okay he has a tough defensive matchup but the opportunity in your opinion should be weighing heavily more into his ownership and it's not reflected by you know the market so that's a player that i would try to gravitate towards
0: that makes a ton of sense. And on the other side of the break, we are going to talk about maybe encapsulate some of this and talk about what are two or three rules that Andrew Erickson would tell the average DFS player to follow every DF, every NFL DFS here. And we're actually going to touch on a couple of players from the NFL draft that he thinks might have an early DFS impact as well. And we'll do that after this break. And we are back with Andrew Erickson from Fantasy Pros. Andrew, let me ask you. So I've asked you about ownership. We've we've talked about leverage. We've talked about some of the, you know, opportunity type metrics that you look at, uh, your strategy, the types of tournaments you plan. Let's just break it down for for the listener right now. If you could tell them he or she, hey, here's here's two or three things when you go into the next NFL DFS season, which is coming up here in you know four four ish months seems like an eternity away, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's around the corner a little bit. we got a dead spot here, but then it's going to, it's going to turn up a little bit. If you can advise that person, Hey, these are two or three ro- rules to live by in your NFL DFS year. What are the recommendations? What are the pieces of advice?
1: Yeah. So for me, the first thing would be to align your contest selection with your goals, you know, be realistic about, you know, why you're playing DFS. If you're just, you know, Hey, I want to build a $5 lineup, build a $20 lineup, go in the Millie maker, that's awesome. Like, you know, go ahead and, and have fun, but like know your expectations and and know that you probably won't win. Like that, that's just realistic expectations. But if you're really serious about, you know, winning a couple thousand dollars, then I would recommend like going into like the small field gbps Now, obviously the entry fees are a little bit bigger be- to make up for the lack of people, but you're going to be tested more strategically and not necessarily be beaten by your, you know, these perfect lineups that are put together somewhat randomly and by guys that are entering 150 lineups, where you're only entering one, like understand what you're trying to go. You're here is, and, and the thing about small field GPPs too, is like, you don't have to be perfect. Like that's like the thing that kind of always like kind of calms you down. it's like, you just need to build a 80 85th percentile lineup, 90th percentile lineup, not the 99th percentile lineup. You don't need to build that to win a small field GPP. Yeah. So you can build a bunch of guys that have great games, a couple guys that have good games, and then you could win. So, That's why I like the small field GPPs and it aligns more with what I'm trying to achieve when it comes to DFS. So I would recommend anyone to, you know, kind of sit down and be like, all right, I'm playing with uh, my bankroll is this, you know, what am I actually trying to go? Like what's successful DFS season in my eyes, in my opinion, and try to shoot for that and make sure that the contests you play align with that goal. So that would be the first one. Now, the second one would be again, something I mentioned before. So like leveraging chalk. So if you decide, Hey, I'm not going to play this super, Uber popular running back, okay, then just don't don't just not play that running back, then take full advantage, like take a stand and be like, I'm not playing the running back. Instead, I'm taking that passing game because I think if this running game fails, which I'm already betting on anyway by not playing the chalky running back, then there's a probably good chance that the the reason he fails is because the passing game mm-hmm. is the reason that this player succeeds. So, and vice versa. It's like you just play if the passing game, this quarterback is super chalky, this super chalky stack between a quarterback and receiver, okay, what about the running back? Oh, the running back ends up scoring the three touchdowns. And now you not only get the low owned running back, you get the laughing over the field because you didn't play that passing game that has now failed because of the running back that you had. So finding ways to find leverage away from chalk. And then the last thing is something that I'm still, you know, trying to work with in my mind is late news. And in terms of kind of preparing yourself a little bit ahead of time, we have so many injuries. I mean, last year, especially with COVID going on was just an absolute nightmare trying to figure out who was playing, who is healthy. And it really tested us a lot. And I, I think that it's important to kind of have an idea in your mind of, okay, like, you know, we're really 50, 50 on this guy. Like, I need to know like once those inactives come out, I already know what I'm doing. I'm not contemplating, oh, like, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. You know, kind of have an idea of how to respond to this late news because that's how so many, I think, DFS lineups are won and lost is this late or how to react the right way. You know, a couple like, a couple examples come to mind where, you know, Tony Pollard, Zeke was ruled out random. I think it was like two years ago and Tony Pollard wasn't rostered nearly enough. Like he mm-hmm. should have been in everyone's lineups. And if he had been, you know, if Zeke had been ruled out that Friday, like Tony Pollard would have been like 40% roster because people would have kind of thought it through enough where they would be like, oh yeah, I mean, Tony Pollard, like he's going to smash. Like it doesn't even matter who they're playing. I think they're playing Pittsburgh. It didn't even matter because of the role Tony Pollard had again, going back to, you know, a running back's role being more important than the defense they're playing. And then even this past year, you know, week one, I remember we're all like sitting our lineups, you know, you are looking at, oh, the 49ers. Oh, Trey Sermon is inactive, Elijah Mitchell's in, and then everyone plays Raheem Mostert. And then, oh, you know, Raheem Mostert literally gets hurt, like, on the second play. And and, and every lineup that you put Raheem Mostert in is now dead because he played. But we knew that once Trey Sermon was made inactive, Raheem Mostert was going to become, you know, this mega chalky player. So it would have been smart to kind of think, all right, let's take a step back. And, you know, what does the trace tournament inactive really mean? Does that really change Raheem Mostert's role? And I'm not to say that, you know, Raheem Mostert wasn't going to have a bigger role. He could have, but maybe it would have been the same. And obviously, we'll never know. But it's just kind of things like that reacting to that late news, I think, is really important and still kind of able to get an edge because I don't think that some people can react and make the right decision in that 90 minute time. frame. Because, again, you're, you're up against the clock. Because you only have a certain amount of time before you can make adjustments based on the news, as opposed to getting news and working through it all week, getting other people to talk to, getting the chance to talk to other people that are in DFS. And I think that that's something that, you know, I am trying to definitely do much better at because I've made my fair share of mistakes of reacting to news in the wrong way and not thinking about it the right way. And that's something I really want to try to improve on.
0: Yeah, you know, that that definitely makes sense. A lot of people are always, you know, they're scrambling late mm-hmm. in the game, and you really shouldn't be because a lot of this stuff shouldn't be a big surprise. And and even if it is, you you probably should be prepared for it. What what's a good situation? It almost sometimes doesn't matter who the player is. It really matters what the situation is. So, totally agree there. Let me ask you before I get to um, I wanted to talk to you about the NFL draft a little bit and maybe uh. A, a good luck or a bad beat DFS story. But the, the last question I have on on sort of this this line of questioning is the tools that you use. I mean, maybe it's stuff at Fantasy Pros. I know you were with that. You were with PFF prior to that. Maybe it's some free stuff or Twitter. Like if you could direct people just generally speaking where to go to find some of these great resources, where where would you tell them to go?
1: yeah so there's a couple ones i've used now some of them aren't behind paywall so like pff you need subscription fantasy pros some of the stuff you need a subscription for but i I mean i think it's worth it i really think that it's it's tough nowadays to play dfs and and even if it's just ownership projections like i i've you know i've used them so much more often than i would have ever thought you know i I would always think you know early on in my dfs days thing oh you just play the you just play the plus you just play the best players and then that's how you win but know, ownership projections, because the way I think of it, it's literally what your opponents are doing against you. And you should take advantage of that. Like that's something that you don't like in any other game. See, if I'm telling you, okay, this is what your opponent's going to do against you. Like you Mm -hmm. want that information Mm -hmm. now. And again, not every ownership projection is exactly spot on, but they give you a nice baseline, to try to figure out, okay, like, this is what my opponent's going to do. How do I prepare and combat against that player? I think it's a really key part and preparation. Now, obviously it changes throughout the week, but I I do think that that's something that's essential. Honestly, at this point with DFS, I feel like it's, I feel like you're, you are, you know, playing with a hand behind your back. If you don't have some type of ownership projections to get an idea of what the market's doing now, maybe you do them on your own. You have a a sense of feel for the market then that's fine. But I know that I, I, Use them a lot. Uh, out of all the tools, I think that ownership projection. I know that a lot of different sites use them. Obviously, so PFF has them. Fantasy Pros has them. Um, one that I've also used before is Daily Roto. Um, they have them as well. Um, but from a free standpoint, I mean, Team Rankings is something that I use a lot as a, a stats website where there are ways that you can custom looking at like pass play rate, play pace per play, uh, or pace of play. Um, run rate of teams. You can look at targets. So that's something that I use a lot as well from comes from like a free standpoint. And then like you had mentioned, like Twitter, like there's a lot of good information. On, I mean, there's a lot of bad information too, but there mm-hmm. is a lot of good information on Twitter from people that, you no, know, not necessarily like always like touting stuff. A lot of it is just people are sharing their knowledge that they find. Like people are more than happy to share information and it just takes a quick search on Twitter to basically kind of find out what you're looking at. So I think that Twitter is something that you should try to take advantage of, especially on Sunday morning when you're kind of setting laps, you're tweaking through things to get an idea of where people are gravitating towards. And I know that, you know, I try to tweet out a lot of different things, you know, leading up to the week, things that I kind of just pop up when I'm writing my articles, creating my content, things that I find interesting, DFS nuggets, as I like to call them, that I should kind of like send out onto the Twitter sphere. And, you know, hope that I get a couple of likes in, in return, but I do that because I, I think that's interesting and I want to see people win. Um, and if I can help in that way in any shape or form, like that's, a, that's a of a W up for me on my book. So th- those are things that I would probably recommend doing.
0: So if you're not already following Andrew Erickson, by this point in the show, he is at Andrew Erickson underscore. So a couple more questions for you before we get out of here. I, I had TJ Hernandez on um, a couple weeks back uh, for this same format show, and I asked him just kind of a random question about a bad beat or a good beat that he recalls. It doesn't have to be last year. It could have been five years ago. I shared a story where... um I had a bunch of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins when when they played the Bills a couple of years back, and that ended up really inuring to my benefit. On the flip side of that, I'll tell you a, a quick story. I had Kadarius Tony, and I was really easily on my way to an outright in a pretty big uh, single entry tournament. He had already uh, accumulated 189 yards, 10 catches, and in, early in the fourth quarter in garbage time when he was getting all the targets, he decided to close fitch, fist punch somebody on the Dallas Cowboys with their helmet on, by the way, and he got thrown out of the game. So I just ended up, I basically fell like two catches and a few yards short of of winning the thing outright. Any stories like that? I always think those stories are kind of fun to share because we can all sort of lament in in our own plight when, you know, these bad beats are good beats.
1: Yeah, I I think that the only the only one that really came to mind for me, because again, there's been like so, so many ups and downs, ebbs and flows of of the DFS season, which makes it so fun. You know, is the game that kind of sticks out in my mind was the it was one of the Tyler Lockett, just like absolute like explosion games. I think it was Mm -hmm. a game against Arizona where he had over like 200 receiving yards. And I just remember being on him all week long, like telling people like the Cardinals cannot, (laughs) the Cardinals cannot stop the slot receiver. Like Tyler Lockett is definitely the guy you want because every, every week it was always like, all right, is it a Lockett week? Or is it a Metcalf? That's like, right. We always Everybody. knew. This yep. is like, this is one guy, like, we're just not sure. And, and me and my other friend at PFF, we would joke around. It's like, whoever Russ targets first, like, that's the guy that's having the massive game. It's always the guy he, he, he throws the ball to first. And Locke was just like on his way to like this massive game. Um, and I was like, going back and forth, with this guy in first place. And I, I ended up not winning basically because of like other games that were going on, but I'm just like watching lock it, like just basically like bring me back up all throughout the, the rankings and, and try to like, basically kind of finish with the top place. So that was something that was really fun. I was actually on the air, um, doing Sirius XM radio at the time too. So I'm like, I'm like looking at the, the TV, trying to see what tower lock is doing. Did he catch another touchdown? Oh my God. Like this guy has so many receiving yards. So that, that was a lot of fun.
0: That's fantastic. All right. So let me ask you a couple uh, questions about this upcoming season. We just had the NFL draft. You covered that thing from top to bottom. I don't know if you actually gotten any sleep, Andrew. If you didn't, <laughs> take a nap after this show. But I, I did want to ask you, you know, there are some big ticket names, especially with the wide receivers that came out, especially in the first round. But second, third, fourth round, there were some wide receivers that came out that seemed to be in good situations. A couple of running backs that might be in good situations. And I know it's super early, so I'm not going to hold you to it. But is there anybody, whether it's a running back or maybe a a few receivers that are in such a good situation that you find it hard to believe that they won't have an early impact in the next NFL season?
1: Yeah, so for for running back, I think it's definitely Brees Hall for the New York Jets. He was the first running back taken. And just the track record of first running backs going in the NFL draft, and you see them average around 240 touches per game, and that's about the you know RB eighteen in terms of f- fantasy finish and season long week. So like, Brees Hall is going to be a guy we're going to be talking about, especially if the Jets' offense can just be average. You know, if Zach Wilson can take a step forward, I mean, he's got a lot of weapons around him. You know, this is kind of what you do with these young quarterbacks—you give them weapons and they take a step forward. So they're hoping that Zach Wilson can kind of take a Josh Allen-esque type of leap after they put him with weapons. So I think Brees Hall is someone that I'm keeping my eye on. And honestly, all the rookie, all the first round rookie receivers, like I think that. They, when we get salaries for DK, when they first come out, I think they're all going to be way undervalued, you know, they're undervalued in best ball drafts right now, but we're seeing rookie receivers like hit the ground running in the NFL. Like there's no like, oh, year three, they'll finally break out. It's like, no, like they're breaking out like in week three, like, like that's what's happening now. So a lot of these rookie receivers and in particular Sky Moore for the Kansas City Chiefs, I think that he attached to Mahomes obviously has massive upside and would not surprise me at all if he like leads the team in targets. So uh, Brees Hall and Sky Moore are two guys that I'm definitely going to be playing a lot in DFS.
0: Real quick on Brees. So obviously Michael Carter's on that team. Do you see a situation where it doesn't matter if Michael Carter gets a certain number of touches because Brees is going to be the lead back and that's going to be enough to pay off his fantasy and DFS value?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we, we see this all the time with my teams, invest in running backs and, and usually it's because they, they want to do the bell cow. You know, if they wanted Michael Carter to be the bell cow, they wouldn't have drafted Brees Hall. So like mm-hmm. the, that's the thing that I kind of always take away from it is they wouldn't have done that if they didn't want Brees Hall to be the bell cow. And, and when you do the math out, actually, it's like 14 touches per game for Brees Hall, you know, that ends up getting him to 240 over a 17 game season. And now 14 doesn't sound like a lot, but that's what, you know, a new kind of bell cow is in this NFL. Like there's not that many guys that get Derrick Henry esque workloads. Mm -hmm. And even the guys that do get the heavy workloads, like they miss a lot of games. So I, I really think that Brees hall might be end up in anywhere in between the 17 to 19 touches per game. And as long as he's getting the pass game work, as long as he's getting the high value touches, you know, in the red zone at the goal line, which I would assume that he does like, that's going to be good enough for you. And I think that that's going to matter a lot. So, yeah, Brees Hall, I think, is going to be an an RB1.
0: And, Andrew, you're way too early. Super Bowl prediction for this upcoming season. Who's playing?
1: Oh, yeah. So, for me, it's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers because, again, I know we've said this a million times, one of the best rosters on paper, Los Angeles Chargers. I feel like I say that every single season, but the Chargers uh, against the Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady did not come back to not win another Super Bowl. So I would go with the Chargers and the Buccaneers as my Super Bowl prediction. I actually love the Chargers, and I kind of have a hot take that people are going to hate
0: me for, that Kansas City actually misses the playoffs, and Denver and the Chargers make it. I love what the Chargers did with their roster, not just at the fun fantasy positions, but all around. I think the Chargers are in really good shape with Justin Herbert stepping up uh, with an extra year. Andrew, tell us where we can find – we know we can find you on TikTok – we know you we can find you on Twitter. Um, what are you doing in the near future that that we can go out and look for?
1: Yeah. So um again, I'm over at fantasypros.com at andrew erickson underscore on Twitter. And a lot of stuff I'm working on now is diving more into best ball. Um, uh, best ball has kind of taken over as like this DFS replacement for me during the the summer months, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's kind of a best of both worlds when it comes to redraft, when it comes to DFS, you kind of get to do a little bit of both experience it. And it's been a lot of fun. um, doing a lot of stuff with like underdog and with some of these best ball tens. So drafters, a lot of different best ball companies doing stuff with them. So releasing article content about best ball strategy, you know, the game theory stacking, you know, who to target early middle rounds, late rounds. And then at Fanny Spurs, we also have the release of the best ball draft kit, To go along with our dynasty draft kit which we were obviously we continue to add to so any type of coverage you need you're playing fantasy in any way shape or form i've got you covered in some way shape or form so it's there somewhere in the in the profile so uh anything fantasy related uh, i'm on it
0: Well, everybody go check Andrew out. Andrew, thank you for coming on to the show. We appreciate your time. We loved your insight. And this has been yet another edition off season edition of Fantasy Football Today, DFS, and we'll see you soon.